They hooked me up. What's with all the butter? I'm shaving with it. And you know what I discovered? You can eat it. No. My face feels so good. I'm going to use it all over my body. But I don't want to be a secondary character. Hello, Stephen. Hello, Ivan. And welcome to another episode of But I Don't Want to Be a Secondary Character. This is a podcast about the greatest sitcom of all time, Seinfeld, but it's a bit different to other ones you may have listened to. This one, we get random episodes of the show and we talk about the secondary characters featured in it. And this week, Stephen, we are going to the season nine premiere, The Butter Shave. Hey, buddy. Yeah, great episode. <laughs> hey, buddy. Newman. He just has such a cannibalistic fetish, doesn't he? Yeah, he's uh, he's losing control. He's his mind is slipping and uh, he's starting to <laughs> superimpose Kramer's head onto a roast turkey. It's slowly <laughs> spiraling out of control. Slowly, yeah, indeed, with some parmesan and oregano and a bit of parsley as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hold it. <laughs> this is parsley. And it was an episode, Stephen, that I actually enjoyed a bit more than I probably should have due to its silliness and its references to cannibalism and all that. But uh, anyway, we can talk about the episode a bit later. That's right. Uh, if you want to talk about the episode or just get in touch with us, you can email bidwabask at podcast, uh, bidwabaspodcast at gmail.com, not bidwabaspodcast at podcast.com. Uh, <laughs> not one. Yeah, we, uh, we're not so lucky as to own the domain name of podcast.com. You can also say hello on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or Reddit if you wish. And uh, you can listen to all of our previous episodes on whatever podcast you choose. And uh, it would be awesome if you left us a rating or review. Uh, on whatever app you choose and uh, you can support us financially too that's right Stephen we are on Patreon and PayPal and over at patreon.com forward slash Bidwabask you get bonus episodes of Curbcast our Curb Your Enthusiasm podcast as well as season 11 it's where Stephen and I come up with episodes of Seinfeld set in the modern era and we write the plots and uh, we read them out to you that's right we are up to episode 5 on our Patreon we are about to release that so uh, check that out you can check out our season 10 which was an another fictional season we did quite a while ago. If you scroll back through your normal feed, uh, you'll be able to find that. Finally, as well, if you uh, want to join our Facebook group, Seinfeldisms, you can just type Seinfeldisms into Facebook and uh, join the biggest, officially the biggest Seinfeld group on Facebook. We have our first sponsor as well, which is awesome. Her name is Lynn. She's a awesome woman from America and uh, she makes tons and tons of Seinfeld masks. Uh, and uh, if you go to the group and just peruse through recent posts, you'll be able to check those out. Um, unfortunately, we're only shipping to, well, she is, I should say, uh, mm, to the US and us. Canada, but we are trying to figure yes. out some option that isn't ridiculously expensive for uh, Australian and European customers as well. So check all that out. Indeed. And speaking of Seinfeldisms, my friend, that is the first segment for each episode. It is the intersectionality of Seinfeld and reality. So any Seinfeld related things happened in your world lately? Yeah, just a couple of small ones. So I was listening to a couple of podcasts through the week. Couldn't even tell you which ones it happened in, but uh, a couple of mentions of Seinfeld in various fashions uh, in a couple of podcasts that I listened to through the week. What about you? For me, my lovely fiance, she loves cooking and uh, we come up with like meal plans every week. So we decide, you know, on the Friday night what we're going to eat from Saturday to Friday. And uh, she's considering maybe for next week, uh, because of this very cold Melbourne winter, uh, maybe jambalaya. Ooh, jambalaya. You recently mm -hmm. had mulligatani, so you're slowly going through all of the soup Nazi soups. Yeah, we are. We are. She's actually, she liked the soup Nazi episode and uh, she's oh. pretty keen on trying some of those soups. Okay. She'll probably eventually get, you know, on whatever night you choose to cook that, she'll eventually get sick of you saying jambalaya. 
jambalaya. Just shut up. Wild mushroom. Yeah, <laughs> more soup for you. Yeah, more soup for you. <laughs> Less human impressions for you. That's it. Okay, on to Seinfeld news. A couple of pieces to talk about this week. Uh, we're going to start off uh, on a sad note uh, in what seems to be happening more and more and more lately. The fantastic actor, the legendary actor, Wilford Brimley unfortunately passed away through the week. He was aged 85. He was a veteran actor. He was known for roles in uh, The China Syndrome, The Natural, The Firm, Absence of Malice, Cocoon, and several others. He actually started acting a bit later in life. Before that, he was actually a, I think he was a cattle wrangler. He was a blacksmith, led a really, really interesting life. He was in the army for a while as well. Mm, And, uh, Obviously, this is related to Seinfeld because he did play the Postmaster General in the episode The Junk Mail, which I believe is also in Season 9, maybe Episode 5 That's or 6. Right. Yeah, uh, Season and- 9. Yeah, we uh, we did that. I think Season 9, uh, yeah, 8 or 9, yeah, we, uh, we did that episode a while ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you go back, I think it was maybe two months ago that we did that episode. Just scroll back down and uh, check that out. We talk about uh, not only uh, the Postmaster General, but we do talk a bit about Wilfred as well. It's uh, a few uh, Seinfeld alumni have recently passed away, I guess, given the age of the show and um, the generation of actors who appeared in the show through its nine seasons, it's it's you know that's that's kind of what time does. You know, they all mm. pass away at once because of the the generation. That generation is slowly dwindling, unfortunately. Slowly dwindling, yeah. But yeah, Wilford. I think with Wilford Brimley, you would, you mentioned he's in Cocoon. I think that was his breakout role. That film from the eighties. Yeah. I think that was like his main like breakout role for him. So uh, yeah, he's most famous for that film for sure. For sure, Wilford is actually also famous for a bunch of PSAs he did in the eighties and that have been parodied by a few things where he talks about his own suffering. Uh, of diabetes, um, or as he famously termed it, diabetes. <laughs> diabetes. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty good parody on Family Guy. If you just type in Wilford Brimley diabetes Family Guy or something similar in YouTube, you'll you'll see a pretty funny little cutscene. And uh, he's survived <laughs> by his wife Beverly and their three sons, and three sons from his first marriage, James, John, and William. So R.I.P. Wilford, one of the greats, sadly no longer with us. Yes, ditto and uh, condolences to his family. Indeed. On to a less sad note, a famous NFL player, his name's Lamar Jackson. He, through the week, compared himself to uh, a famous Seinfeld character in the way that he's handling COVID-19. So, And what did he say exactly? So Lamar said that he's done a fantastic job quarantining. He's just been uh, staying at home and uh, the only people he's seen are who he lives with, I'm guessing his family. And uh, he compared himself to the Bubble Boy, the titular character from that fantastic season four episode. <laughs> Donald. Donald. <laughs> he went on to say that uh, in the interview where he compared himself to the Bubble Boy, he said that he'd happened to watch that episode in the last couple of weeks and uh, that it's an awesome episode. He also said that he was thinking he was just being humorous about that and having fun with it just to offer a bit of levity, which is, uh, you know, much needed in these kind of grim times. So, yeah, Lamar, the real life Bubble Boy, the modern day Bubble Boy, <laughs> doing the right thing, being responsible and isolating himself. And uh, we hope you are too. And uh, wear a mask. Keep isolated. That's stay it. safe. Yeah, well, one of the master from Seinfeldisms, ideally. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Nice, nice tie in there. Indeed, yes. And, and not, not just like tying up your mask. Nice tie. <laughs> oh, 
I love it. Double whammy. That is all the Seinfeld news for the week. Very good, buddy. Let's have a really quick break. And when we come back, we are talking about some secondary characters from The Butter Shave. I have notes today on vegetable lasagna, Magnus, one of my, uh, I guess you could say one of my favorite one-off secondary characters after watching this episode a couple of times. Um, I've also have notes on George's uh, Play Now boss. His name's uh, Thomas Sulo. This is the first of second appearances or two appearances, I should say, on the show for him. So uh, who do you have notes on? Uh, I've got notes on those two. Um, I've got a few notes on Putty, Newman, Kenny Banyan and uh, the MPZ executives uh, at the end, Jay Shermack and Stu Presby. That's right. Yes, a nice little throwback to season four of Seinfeld, those two characters. But anyway, let's take a really quick break and we'll come back and talk about them. Hi, this is Zach and Aaron from Seinfeld Law. And uh, you are listening to But I Don't Want to Be a Secondary Character. The Butter Shave was the season nine premiere of the show, and uh, this first aired in the US on September 25th, 1997. This episode was directed by Andy Ackerman and written by Alec Berg, Jeff Schaefer, a uh, Schaefer rather, and David Mandel. This episode was dedicated to the memory of uh, Brandon Tartikoff. I think we've spoken about him a couple of times on the show. Um, he is actually the former president of uh, entertainment at NBC, and he was a champion of the show during its early years. It's very rock first couple of seasons. Yeah, I think he was one of the guys that was really trying to push it and really, really saw the potential of the show, probably amongst a lot of doubters. So even though Brandon is no longer with us uh, and he hasn't been for quite a while, without him, I don't think we'd be sitting here now talking about Seinfeld. Seinfeld would probably be one of those shows where if you did a podcast of like, you know, one season shows that existed, mm. you know, Seinfeld would probably be like an episode on its own probably, of what could yeah. have been. Gotten weird uh, sitcoms of the 90s. I'm sure there's a podcast about those if you have a look. I'm sure there's something like, you know, things that lasted like one or two seasons in the 90s. I'm sure yeah. there's something. I've seen some uh, podcast topics that are way too obscure. Yeah. So that had definitely be obscure. But anyway, in this episode, Kramer discovers a new use for butter by applying it to his face while he shaves. But he accidentally cooks himself when he uses it as sun cream. George gets a job with a company that makes playground equipment called Play Now, and he really enjoys it after he successfully convinces his boss that he's handicapped. And his boss's name is Thomas Sulo, played by Gordon Jump. And uh, Jerry is actually really, he's correct, isn't he? He says to George, at least you'll be going to hell at three miles an hour. And boy, isn't it one of the scummiest things George has ever done? Yeah, I would say probably top five scummy scenarios that George has been involved in. I mean, it even seems to cross Jerry's limits and he doesn't have a lot of limits or a lot of care about ethic. You know, he even says it's getting it's getting hard to admit to people that I know you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, if it bothers Jerry, I think it uh, definitely crosses a line. Yeah. Meanwhile, Jerry is riding a wave of success at comedy clubs, but he hates the fact that hack comedian Kenny Banya, Steve Heitner, is riding his coattails. Elaine is on her way back from Scandinavia with Putty and they repeatedly break up and get back together. Our other secondary characters in the episode, Wayne Knight, he is Newman, he appears once again. Frank Van Keeken, he plays Magnus, also known as Vegetable Lasagna, a character that I enjoyed. Kristen Davis makes her return from season eight's The Pothole in as Jenna, Jerry's uh, former or ex-girlfriend, you know, the one who uh, he drops the brush in the toilet, the toothbrush. Yep. Yep. So she's back and uh, she's also Kenny's, uh, well, I guess uh, later on she is uh, Kenny's love interest in the episode as well, which is pretty, uh, pretty funny and it's pretty apt too because Kenny is riding the coattails of Jerry and his success. And uh, Matthew Fonda and Chris Parnell play the NBC executives you mentioned before the break. Now, Stephen, a bit of trivia about the episode. Did you no, at one point, a Newman is shown to be reading the novel Alive while Kramer is in the hot tub. And Alive is a story about a group of plane crash survivors who resort to cannibalism in order to survive. So how ironic. Very, very fitting. Very fitting. Very tasty. 
a reference. The line that Jerry says, uh, then let's say he does up there with without all the assistance, is uh, a nearly verbatim quote from band leader Buddy Rich when he chewed out his band. A couple of other quotes from Buddy Rich were actually used in previous episodes. Mm. I don't have the quotes offhand, but uh, the episodes that they were used in were the opposite from uh, season five, I believe. And uh, uh, yep, the season yeah. finale, yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. the understudy from season six. So obviously yes. Jerry's a, a fan of Buddy Rich if he used three of his lines <laughs> in three episodes. That's it. This is the second time where Sheena Easton's hit song Morning Train 9 to 5 is played in the episode. It was last played when Kramer worked in the office in the Bizarro Jerry, but this is appearing in a montage when George is at play now. And uh, this song was also used uh, in the film Euro Trip, a 2004 comedy. And uh, that was a film produced and written by Alec Berg, David Mandel and Jeff Schaefer, the writers of the episode. Uh, maybe the licensing fee for um, working nine to five by Dolly Parton was too much, so they just reused <laughs> reused Sheena Easton's a one hit wonder. Song about song about you know going to work. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Catching the morning train. And, yeah, uh, yeah. And I think Dolly would have commanded a bit too much money. I think probably. Yeah. Maybe they paid for when they originally used it. Maybe they paid for like three years, and then they realized they're like, oh, we can still use it again because we've still got we paid for like three years of licensing. <laughs> we'll just reuse it and save money. Probably something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Another trivia point about uh, a line used in the episode. George says after he gets his own bathroom, I love that bathroom. It's got that high, high toilet. I feel like a gargoyle perched on the ledge of a building is quite a funny coincidence because Jason Alexander, vo- uh, Alexander, Alexander voiced a gargoyle yes. in uh, the animated Hunchback of uh, Notre Dame in 1996. So yes, that Disney film is part of the, uh, the second renaissance of Disney films in the 80s and 90s. Yes, it was part of that film, that, as well as many other things. And uh, the last bit of trivia that I have, Steve, is the two NBC executives, uh, Jay Shermack and Stu Crespi. They're actually references to the pitch from season four. The original guys were called Stu Shermack and Jay Crespi. And it's a reference because in the pitch episode, they go up to Jerry after a set uh, at the improv at the same bar area where he is, and uh, they go up to Banya. And uh, it's a nice little throwback, and it's a reference to Kenny riding the coattails of Jerry. Yeah, and uh, all they've done is just swap their first name. So it's Stu Chermack uh, instead of Jay Chermack. Oh, sorry, Jay Chermack instead of Stu Chermack and uh, That's it. Stu Crespi instead of Jay Crespi. So, uh... That's it. Played by two separate, <laughs> uh, two different actors, yeah. yeah <laughs> it's pretty yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. a nice, a nice yeah. little nod to the pitch for sure. And uh, yeah. Yeah, also to, to Banya also. Always trying to, uh, you know, scab off Jerry. I like I like his comparison to Banya as, you know, the fish that suck on the, the shark swimming in the water. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's him. That's Kenny. But he, I, but he's a, he's a very uh, benevolent guy, though. He doesn't have bad intentions when he does it. No, I don't think he's even aware of how Jerry might feel. You know, he just nah. things just happen to him, and he just yes. wants Jerry's approval, and he thinks it's all good. So, and if you uh, uh, if you're on Patreon and you listen to our season eleven podcast, you'll understand when you want to listen to the first episode. That's right. Well, we've <laughs> yes. kind of already uh, just started talking about Kenny, so why don't we continue that and talk about him in the context of this episode? For sure, he is played by the wonderful Steve Heitner, and yeah, Kenny Banya. I mean, we see more about him, and we understand more about his character, and uh, I, I don't know. I, I guess he probably does. have have some comedy that is accessible to people, uh, even though it's even more observational stuff than what Jerry can pull. I think it probably has a much more uh, broad appeal and uh, it actually makes sense, I think, that the NBC executives approach Kenny because he seems to have that very family-friendly or family-orientated kind of comedy, so he probably would actually do well in a sitcom. I think someone like Kenny and his style of comedy and just him as a person, you know, if he were to act in his own sitcom like Jerry, yeah, he would fit in very well with the sort of saccharine sweet watered down idyllic portrayal of family life you know in in america in the 90s you know with i don't know i'm just trying to think of a bunch i mean there's so many but 
you know, comedies like Full House or uh, Family Matters, mm. you know, that sort of portray these idyllic uh, family situations. Uh, you know, Kenny, I mean, whatever Kenny's sitcom may have been, you know, if he if he goes ahead with the deal with NBC, maybe it isn't like a family comedy, but I think it would have the same tone, the same sort of family friendliness, as you said. Mm, yeah. One question I wanted to ask is, you know, Kenny is, as we said just before, he's, he's harmless. He's not very self-aware. Things just happen to him and he kind of just, you know, appreciates them and goes with them without much insight or thought. Do you think because, you know, within a small amount of time, in this episode, a bunch of things happen to him. You know, he gets a really attractive girlfriend, goes over really well uh, after Jerry warms up the crowd, and then he gets a NBC deal. You know, that's that's a pretty good sequence of events that happened to you. Do you think maybe yeah. he would have developed a bit of an ego, maybe a bit of arrogance after this episode? Oh, probably, yeah. I mean, because we've talked about in his uh, What's the Deal With episode, the Jerry's Enemies episode from way back when, we've talked about Kenny Banya in that one. And I think we said that he kind of, he admires Jerry and he kind of wants to follow in his footsteps, which he ends up doing in this episode. I think he probably thinks that he's probably more talented than he actually is and probably due to the fact that his content is like I said much more observational and family friendly and more has more of a broad appeal I think that maybe Kenny uh yeah Kenny probably thought wow I'm actually more talented than Jerry if I'm getting all these deals then mm-hmm. uh, yeah it would have inflated his ego true yep I agree all right that's all I have about Kenny do you have anything else no not in the context of this episode no Okay. Why don't we talk about uh, someone that you obviously like a lot, Magnus, aka Vegetable Lasagna. Yes, he's played by writer, producer and director Frank Van Keegan. Uh, He wrote 22 episodes of Mad About You and he wrote and produced for shows including Winging It, The Next Step and Billable Hours. And he's also played a worker at NASA in the film Armageddon. I don't want to close my eyes. Don't want to fall asleep. So yeah, that's him. Uh, Magnus, yes, I really enjoyed his character and I, I just love how he's just so frustrated with Elaine and Putty and he has to sit on a, what is a 22-hour flight <laughs> with them all the way to uh, New York. Obviously, we can confirm that because there is like a, a shot of a map when they're heading to the airport and they're in Oslo, which is the capital of Norway. So I assume that he is Norwegian based on his accent. He does have the uh, Scandinavian accent and his name is Magnus, which is a pretty big giveaway. Um, one thing that I thought of uh, about Magnus Steve is I think he's probably a loner. I feel like he's probably... Uh, an introvert probably on the autistic spectrum maybe but I feel like maybe he he probably works a dead-end job and he's saved all this money to travel to the US or maybe around the world or something like that and you know he's probably going on a holiday by himself yeah I think um all that is pretty evident I didn't think of the autism thing but that makes sense given the fact that he doesn't even like you know what I would describe as kind of mild shouting or mild tension between Putty and Elaine. It's not especially threatening or tense, but, you know, he says, he begs almost, you know, please stop. I don't like tension. I don't like shouting. I can't remember what he says exactly. Yeah, you're shouting. Yeah, he's the only one around them who seems stressed out. Everyone else is just kind of sleeping or doing Mm -hmm. whatever they're doing in their seat. So I think that that would uh, sort of back up the idea of him potentially being autistic. And I like the idea of him being you know, maybe just working at a dead end job, maybe being just a bit of a, hate to use the term, but maybe just a bit of a stereotypical loser. Yeah. Yeah. He's like a loner. Yeah. Yeah. And and just, he just seems like a bit of a wuss. (laughs) Um, I think he is. Especially, well, Lane's pretty intimidating. So that's that's fair enough for him. I give him benefit of the doubt for that one. Yeah. No, that's, that's true. Actually. That's true. Yeah. I mean, he seems very, very bothered by the fact that he uh, was woken up by Elaine and also that Elaine took his apple juice. <laughs> He's like, that's my yes, Hey, that's my apple juice. <laughs> yeah, he, he, he almost reminds me of like, 
almost like Millhouse from The Simpsons, you know, like just a bit pathetic maybe. Millhouse. Yeah, Millhouse. Mm. Millhouse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's it. What do you think he did in the US? Do you think he just sort of saw the tourist sites, you know, went to New York and saw the Statue of Liberty and the Grand Canyon and went to Washington? Do you think he just did that style of trip? Probably all those. I mean, he, I'm guessing he probably watched a lot of American films and, and in Scandinavia or in Europe, mostly in general, many of them speak English anyway, like as a second language, quite fluently, especially in Scandinavia. So he's probably grew up watching American films, you know, seeing Hollywood, New York, all in the background. And uh, I'm guessing where they flew uh, from Oslo, you know, New York is across the Atlantic Ocean, so that's probably the next city that he could fly to. Obviously, he'd have to go across the US to go to LA, but maybe, yeah, I'm guessing he probably went to like the standard, well, back in the 90s, the standard places to go in the US, like New York, LA, maybe Vegas, all these things that he probably saw in like pop culture and media. I can imagine him walking around New York and just being overwhelmed by the amount of people and the busyness of that city. You know, Oslo mm-hmm. is a world city and it I'm guessing it was in the 90s. It's not like it's a small town, but compared to New York, I think New York probably has more people in it than almost all of Norway, let alone Oslo. So I can imagine him being very overwhelmed and and kind of stressed out and a bit freaked out over- (laughs) All the shouting and the lights. Yeah, just the energy of New York. You know, even if no one's mm. directly threatening him, just the the volume of the city and the the fast pacedness of of the city itself. And I can also imagine him wearing, you know, that stereotype of a dorky kind of fish out of water European tourist in America. I think Germans are portrayed a lot of the sandals and socks and the high shorts, you know, and maybe I don't know, just being a bit of an, an awkward fish out of water dork. I could definitely imagine him embodying that stereotype. He'd probably easily get mugged. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I could imagine him like naively being led down an alleyway for like, oh, yeah, man, I'll, I'll help you out. Just come down this alleyway and then getting robbed or something like that. You know, He's too naive. Yeah, being preyed upon by the uh, the riffraff of New York. Yeah, <laughs> poor bugger. <laughs> but yeah, no, I liked I liked Magnus. I thought he was really funny. He's just yeah. like, it's just like, like the actor, like Frank could have easily, you know, overacted it, but I think he did just fine. Yeah, it wasn't a ridiculous over-the-top Norwegian accent, which or Scandinavian accent, which can be done where it's more like, you know, you have stolen my vegetable lasagna. It was, it mm. was a bit more subtle, which which was nice. Yes. He seems like the sort of person as well, you know, if he did get mugged in New York or if he just maybe didn't have uh, as good of a time as he thought he would in America, I don't think that that would destroy his love for America. I still think he would hold on to what he thinks America could be, especially as a tourist. He seems like mm. that's a person where even though he would have feel he would have felt disappointed, uh, he wouldn't have had any uh, any disdain for America. No, he would have loved it. But like I said before, I think he probably grew up on American films, TV shows. And like I said, because English is basically a second language in most parts of Western Europe, he probably would have watched the shows and enjoyed them. And uh, he decided to save up money in his dead end job. And uh, because he's a loner and doesn't have a partner or many friends or any at all, and he decided to go on his own and he happened to be next to Elaine and Putty and had a bad introduction to American attitudes. Yeah. Maybe it was was a blessing, you know, it gave him a taste of what was to come, especially in New York. Mm -hmm. Just just, just unending anger and tension. That's it. Do you have anything else about Magnus? No, but like I said, I really liked him. So, Yeah, no, he he was funny. And uh, like like you said, um, some nice sort of subtle acting by, I can't remember the actor's name. Frank Van Keegan. Frank Van Keegan. Uh, All right, let's- Keegan, okay. Oh, okay. There you go. Uh, 
let's talk about Thomas Sula, George's boss in the episode at Play Now. Yes, he is played by Gordon Jump. He's most famous for appearing in the 70s sitcom WKRP in Cincinnati. He had several stints on TV and radio in the Midwest prior to his acting career. And he's also appeared in other TV shows, including Get Smart, Soap, Partridge Family, and The Love Boat. Uh, he passed away in 2003 in Los Angeles. He was aged 71. And uh, we see his character again in a later episode of season nine, The Voice. Uh, that's the one where uh, George, uh, for whatever reason, can't get fired from Play Now. So they try and make his life a living hell in the office. You know, they block his bath. They destroy his bathroom. They, you know, lock him in the office and George kind of, you know, holds out. Well, they lock him out of the office, but then George crawls through the vent. Yes, there. yes, that's it. Yes. <laughs> they try and make him leave yeah. rather than, uh, yeah. <laughs> he finally admits defeat and I think he, does he give him a payout or something? Like he concedes defeat yeah. to George. Yeah. And then he later goes to work for Kruger. So it works yeah, out. That's right. First thing I wanted to ask you is his name, Thomas Sula. Is that a first name or a last name? Well, in The Voice, he's credited as Mr. Thomas Ullo, so oh, okay. I guess we can go by. Yeah, in this episode, he's credited as Thomas Ullo, but yeah, I'm guessing yeah, it'd be his surname, yeah, Italian-American, okay. by the sounds of it. Yeah, well, yeah, there you go. Or maybe well, Greek, maybe, Thomas Ullo, maybe, yeah. Southern European, yeah, somewhere. Mediterranean European, yeah. something like that. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why do you think he's so willing to not only allow George's shenanigans, but, you know, he seems very, very keen on hiring someone who is, you know, not fully able-bodied. You know, it seems it seems more like George is the right person for the job and he happens to be disabled. It seems like they really wanted to hire someone who had a disability. Yeah, well, I think he's a very inclusive boss and they might have, I think they were probably, Play Now were probably well ahead of their time, a quite a progressive company. Maybe they have like diversity quotas, even back in the 90s. Like maybe they wanted people of certain races and certain abilities and, you know, that sort of thing to, you know, to be part of the company. Maybe, yeah, maybe they were just so well ahead of its time. Maybe he's just a very progressive person. Yeah, he seems to be really sensitive. Well, he is really sensitive in how he describes George's disability. You know, he he's he's he wants to use the correct words to make sure George doesn't feel offended or uncomfortable. And you can tell he's yeah. nervous, you know, and George is just like, I don't care. <laughs> George, I don't <laughs> it's like, whatever. But um, yeah, Play Now is so well ahead of their time in terms of, uh, you know, diversity and all that. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I imagine it being, yeah, like a very family friendly and a very inclusive company, you know, almost to the point of maybe to their detriment, uh, especially when it comes yes. to shysters taking advantage of that, like George. So, you know, George, he very easily catches George in a lie about which side his cane is on. And George tries to trick him by saying it's all, you know, it's all, it, it, you know, you, you're. It's a reflection. In the yeah, mirror. it's a reflection. And Mr. Thomas Ulla goes, well, you know, hold on a minute, George, just stop right there. And you think he's going to call George out on his bullshit, but he thinks that George is, you know, needs a cane on both sides and he gives him. In both of his buggy. legs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he gives him a buggy. Yeah. yeah I think, uh, mobility scooter. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think after George, you know, in The Voice, I think after he, they eventually get rid of him, I think it maybe would have hardened him just a tiny bit or made him made him a bit more wary of scammers like George and, you know, yeah. a bit more sort of almost street smart in a way. Yeah, because I feel like in this episode, Thomas Solo, he's I think he takes people at face value and he has a lot of trust in people, especially his yeah. employees. So I think, yeah, that trust, I, I think just like many other secondary characters on the show, you know, people change based on, the, you know, working with one of the core four or more. Yeah. And I think Thomas Solo, yeah, I think I think his whole idea of trusting everyone deteriorated immensely. And uh, yeah, he, like you you said he probably became more cautious. Yeah, I, I don't think it would have destroyed his trust in people overall. It just would have made him a bit more cynical, a bit more 
thoughtful about who is this person? Do they have an agenda? I don't think it hardened him too much, just sort of naivety a bit. Maybe he's not from, because he's very friendly. He's very nice. Like you said, he takes people on face value. Maybe he is not a native to New York. Maybe he's from, you know, middle America where they are a lot more like his temperament, you know, and then he moved to New York. Maybe Play Now is a, a national company and he got promoted to the, the, the head of the New York office or something like that. Well, it's funny because a lot of the American toy companies that you see, they don't actually come from New York or LA. They come from like the Midwest and mm. maybe like Chicago. And like, if you have a look, I think, yeah, there's some, I, I can't think of any, actually, I think that the guys who originally made the original Star Wars toys, I think they're called Kenner toys or something. They were from like Idaho or Cincinnati, you know, they're not even from like one of the major cities. So maybe Play Now was from like the Midwest or somewhere where you wouldn't think that companies like that would exist. And maybe, yeah, they have like a New York branch or a headquarters. And yeah, maybe Thomas Sulay got promoted. Yeah, that's what I'm going to go with. Maybe Play Now, they do more of the manufacturing in the original town or city where they're from. And maybe New York is more like admin office, op- like operations, you know, yeah. like that sort of stuff. Maybe distribution, yeah. buying, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, it could be like an East Coast office or just the corporate office, you know, but like you said, their, their plant is in middle America somewhere. Yeah, I, I think, and that sort of, to me, makes sense because of how naive Tomasulo is until the end of the episode when he sees George miraculously lifting a mobility scooter over his head running down the street. <laughs> you, can tell, you can tell straight away he's sort of changed forever when he sees that because George tries to do another lie when he's like, do you believe in miracles, sir? And he straight out just goes, no, he's gone <laughs> to George. And I think from that yes. moment on, he's changed in some way. Yeah, because we don't see him for the rest of the episode after that point. And uh, yeah, the voice is when we see him really, uh, really give it to George. For sure, for sure. Do you have anything else about him? No, but we will talk about him uh, in uh, The Voice when we do that episode later. We haven't done that one yet. So no. uh, hello, that's the one we're from. Uh, hello. That's where hello. hello comes from. The Voice. <laughs> it's either me, Jerry, or The Voice. Hello. <laughs> oh, 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 yes. So, right. yeah, we'll talk about him in that episode. But anyway, let's move on. Who do you have to uh, talk about now? I've got a couple of notes on uh, Jay Shermack and Stu Crespi, the NBC executives. And I guess we can call them the new NBC executives. Yeah, Jay and Stu, they typify just your very slick corporate executives. You know, they're really well-dressed. They talk really smoothly total salesman, you know, hey, Kenny, yeah, really loved your set. Just really slick. (laughs) You know, they are exactly what you would imagine a 90s corporate executive to be with a smooth pitch and an even smoother voice. I mean, even the way he says to Jerry that he's suspenders hacky, he's like, hey, Jerry, the suspenders, a little hacky. A little hacky, yeah. Yeah, just so... So slick and corporate. Yeah, I reckon they would, uh, you know, be best friends. And I think when they met each other, I'm guessing they met at NBC, it was too lost. What's the word? You know, they they met themselves in the other person. You know, kindred spirits is what I'm trying to say. (laughs) Because the original um, Jay and Stu, they were, um, I think Stu was the like older, more experienced executive when we talked about them in the pitch. And Jay is like the young up and coming, you know, the young buck trying to get into the, you know, up into further management is one of the executives executives like the you know he's probably the newest executive on the board so yeah whereas these guys yeah they're just like the same age and probably yeah, the same level like, of employment and they look yeah same experience probably early 30s yeah i'd say yeah so. they, they've greenlit a lot of shows yeah i reckon that when they met each other at, at the office they just knew straight away that they were going to be best friends forever because they they operate at the same level they speak the same yeah. 
got the same taste, both love Kenny Banya. I mean, maybe Banya was even the person that brought them together. Maybe one of them was like, hey, you like comedy? I'm going to go check out this guy named Kenny Banya. And the other guy's like, Kenny Banya? I love Kenny Banya. <laughs> you know, and then they were like, no. why don't we offer him a TV deal? If he's any good. If he's any but good. But he's not that good. But he he went on after Jerry and bombed. So That's yeah, true. maybe maybe they already had premonitions about Kenny. They already knew yeah. he was all right. I would assume yeah. that they were fans beforehand because I think only true fans would overlook the fact that he bombed so hard and still offer him a TV deal. I reckon they're OG yeah. fans for sure. OG fans. And it's really funny because in the finale, we see the original Jay and Stu from uh, season four. So <laughs> I guess we could probably say that these guys just popped out of nowhere and then yeah. never came back again. They're almost like the Bizarro NBC executives. Yes, Bizarro. Yes, yes, definitely. That's all I had about them. They're only in the one scene, uh, but I did like yeah. Jay and Stu. They were, they were funny. All right, let's talk about Putty in the context of this episode. Yes, played by Patrick Warburton. So yeah, Putty, I mean, it's the same kind of trope between Elaine and Putty. They break up one minute and then they're back together. And unlike, you know, normal times when they can avoid each other, they're on a 22-hour flight. So they got to kind of stay with each other and they break up and they come back and it's on and off again quite regularly on the flight. Yeah, very hot and cold, very volatile. I did like him just being fixated like the dope he is on the uh, Norwegian currency when he's like, 10 kroner. Yeah. Kroner? Oh, wait. 10 kroner? <laughs> the one with the hole. I think with Putty, he's probably never really traveled overseas before. I mean, Elaine's obviously traveled to Europe with um, uh, Maestro. Joe Davola's, yes, and Joe Davola's psychiatrist back yeah. in season four. Yeah. But yeah, I think with Putty, he probably never really traveled outside of the US or maybe even New York State, to be honest with you. He probably doesn't seem like like one of those worldly types. So maybe this was his first Euro trip. Yeah, that would make sense given the fact that he was so fascinated by some coins. I mean, international mm. currency is fascinating, you know, when you touch a new note or it's a coin with a hole on it but you're not so fascinated that you are counting it, you know, each denomination in the cab on the way home. He seems almost like fixated on it. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's just because anything foreign to what is in America is just overwhelmingly intriguing for uh, a dope like putty. And it's funny seeing like pre-Euro currencies like the Krona. <laughs> You know, yeah, yeah. they ended up getting replaced by the euro like four years later or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, it was just funny seeing that. I was like, Kroners, oh, yeah, yeah. I, I did relate that. to his line as well when uh, him and Elaine start arguing when he says, you know, what do you think is different uh, about the gap in Rome than New York? I've been in those situations with people where they just go to the same places they go to, you know, if, if they're from Melbourne, they'll go travel somewhere, but they'll, they'll just visit the same type of shops. And it's just like, it's the same <laughs> yeah. everywhere. That's the point of what, this, this Why do you think there's so many Starbucks in Asia? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah, for yeah. the Americans. Yeah, it's yeah. like you're in Europe, which is, you know, arguably has some of the best food culture on planet Earth, and you're just going into like fast food restaurants. It's, it just doesn't mm. make sense. So I, yeah. I really, uh, I really related to that line. Even though it wasn't about food, <laughs> it was about clothes. I'm sure the Gap in Rome sells the same stuff as what uh, they sell in New York as anywhere else. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And uh, I did like, finally on David, I just like his acknowledgement of the fact that he was going to stare. You know, a, a lot of the time when we talked about Putty, you know, we, we do mention he's just sort of staring blankly or just sort of zoning out. I think in this episode, I realized it's a choice. You know, he, he doesn't just sort of turn off and just stare. I think he makes the decision. Okay. He I'm willingly going, does I'm, it. Yeah. I'm going to stare now. And he just starts yeah. staring. It's it's like it's almost like a standby mode for him that he chooses. Yes. And, and like, <laughs> he goes in a standby back. mode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Self-imposed. <laughs> I like that. And uh, you yeah. know, Elaine says, you know, you're just gonna stare at the back of the seat and he just goes, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. It uh it, it made me think of his mindless staring a bit different, that I think it's a bit <laughs> more conscious than uh, I previously thought about. <laughs> he just does it just yeah. just when he wants to. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> 
All right, let's uh, talk about uh, Newman in the context of the episode. Yes, he's played by Wayne Knight, of course. And uh, yeah, we see Newman, he's with Kramer and Kramer, you know, abuses the butter a bit too much and <laughs> uses it for sunscreen when he should have used it maybe in his food. Newman develops uh, cannibalistic tendencies towards Kramer and wants to eat him. Is it kind of like, I don't know, like, is it maybe sexual, you think? Does he have some kind of, I don't know, like, is it just food related or is there some other kind of context for Newman to do it? I think it's just food related i mean you know yeah he's a portly yeah. fellow and i you know not saying that anyone who's as big as newman is uh an overeater or anything but there's tons of evidence throughout the show that he do he does love his food um, yes yeah so I, I think it's just he he likes deep fried food uh mm-hmm. you know, he spends a lot of time with kramer anyway so the constant temptation caused by the smell of kramer's skin after he cooks in butter i think just gets <laughs> gets the better of him yeah yeah, I mean, unless you live uh, next to or work at a, you know, say a fried chicken shop, you're only going to smell that when you eat it. But if you're hanging out with your best friend who always smells like it, I can understand why it would become overwhelming. Someone who might work at KFC for 12 hours a day. Yeah, but, you know, when they go home, they're not going to be smelling KFC because it's not around them. But no. if your partner or someone you live close to smells like it all the time, it's just constantly there and eventually it's going to mm. weigh you down. And I think that's what happened to Newman. You know, you yeah, Newman couldn't him. resist. Yeah, you saw him slowly unravel. You know, he starts hallucinating and then he he can't take it when he's helping Kramer out in the in the hot tub. You know, he has to rush out of there and then he eventually loses it backstage when <laughs> when Kramer very conveniently gets uh, a, a, oregano and oregano and parmesan and parmesan. And, uh, you know, again, conveniently, there's a, a fresh bunch of parsley uh, on hand <laughs> for, for him to hand to Kramer. It was funny. <laughs> ah, you bit me. Yeah, you bit me. <laughs> it's one of those storylines that on paper, you know, the, especially the Newman aspect, you know, if you were to, if I was Jerry Seinfeld or Larry David and I had a writer come up to me and say, look, I think in this episode, Kramer should cook his skin, smell like chicken and Newman should lose control and want to eat Kramer because on paper, it's like that. That's even ridiculous, even for season nine of Seinfeld. Mm, uh, because, because cannibalism is obviously a very taboo topic. Yeah. And I mean, you know, they don't show cannibalism. It's, you know, it's, and it's, it's dealt with in a, in a pretty sort of lighthearted way, but just mm. that concept of Newman not being able to resist eating his friend who smells like chicken skin or whatever he smells like sounds ridiculous. Yeah, and it would be really ridiculous on paper, but because Wayne Knight and, uh, Michael Richards, Michael Richards. Is so fantastic. Mm. You know, it, it, it's a testament to their acting talent that they can pull it off and it doesn't seem too far, you know, into the zany realm. They definitely make it work. Yeah. And of course, we have now we have the classic, probably top three most used Seinfeld gifts uh, on in the internet in general, the Kramer Turkey waving saying, hey, buddy. Yeah. And that's probably one of the only examples of using CGI on the show. Yeah. I mean, I don't even know if it's CGI or if it's just green screen. You know, maybe he just posed like that in front of a green screen and then they just put the turkey and blended them. But yeah, they mm. don't often use any sort of special effects. And if they do, they're usually pretty rudimentary. Yeah. Sophisticated for Seinfeld, for sure. Yeah, yeah, it was very different. It was actually almost seamless. I was quite impressed with it, even like for 1998, 97. That was not yeah, bad. They did a good job of matching the uh, the, the color of the chicken, uh, sorry, of the turkey in the photo to the, the makeup that Kramer was wearing. Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty well done, yeah. actually. It still, still holds up even today. I thought this episode when we first watched it was, you know, when Kramer, when they go up to the balcony and find Kramer. In my head, I thought, oh, this is the episode where at the end he comes home with the, the, the young woman and the, and the guy goes, you know, I thought you were bringing me home a, a white man or whatever. All I see is a damn fool. 
I thought it was that episode, and now I'm yes. trying to remember what episode is that. Uh, the damn oh, it was an earlier one, but uh, yeah. I think it was like maybe season seven or eight. Yeah, where he yeah. he stays in the in the saw in the uh, yeah, tanning yeah, yeah. bed. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's he's a damn fool. Considering what Kramer puts his skin through, it's in pretty good nick. You know, he hmm. he falls asleep in a sanding uh, a tanning uh, tanning bed, and you know he cooks himself with butter. He's uh, he's still pretty youthful. Yeah, he is. So it's all that it's all that zany energy that keeps him youthful, I guess. No, I think so. Yes, there's okay. a lot of energy to him. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Do you have any notes about any of the other secondary characters? No, that is it. But uh, let's take one last break, my friend. And uh, well, at the other end of the break, we will find out where the butter shave sits in our episodes we have reviewed so far. And if any of today's secondary characters make our top 20. Hey, buddy. Okay, the butter shave. Where does it sit in uh, the episodes we review so far for you? Uh, Stephen, out of 138 episodes, uh, the butter shave number 68. <laughs> so, okay. yeah, very zany and uh, like one which the cannibalism concept, you know, kind of before I watched it, I was like, oh, like, this is the one with cannibalism in it, right? But yeah, no, I, like you said, like the acting of Wayne and Michael, like really made it work. And uh, yeah, it was just like zany and really funny. And it was uh, obviously the premiere episode of that final season. And uh, it gave an idea of to what the rest of the season would become. And uh, yeah, actually, I actually had a lot of laughs. A lot of like zany, funny, comical laughs. Not everything has to be, you know, highbrow. It was um, a lot more slapstick, a higher amount of slapstick style comedy, you know, and even with the little montage of of George, you know, at work going up and down the, the chair elevator and tripping that guy over. Yeah, it was a bit more uh, slapstick in physical comedy than normal. For me, this episode sits at number 76, so pretty close to uh, where you've placed it. And there, there were some storylines I liked, some I didn't like as much. Um, I thought the George storyline was the the star of the show. The Kenny Banya kind of tailing, uh, sorry, uh, riding Jerry's coattails felt a bit old because it's it's the common dynamic between the two. I thought that maybe they could have done something a bit different with Banya. Just I don't think it's been addressed too much though. Riding the coattails, I think we have seen instances where, like, just just going on what you're saying, I think we've have seen Kenny kind of try and go into Jerry's shadow, but I don't think we've seen an episode prior to this one where it's actually really demonstrated in their lines of work. No, yeah. that, that's a good point. I guess, but I get your point. Yeah, yeah. It just didn't really expand on um, Banya as a person. Like, it, he's no more complicated at the end of this episode, which kind of felt a bit, mm. you know, like a wasted opportunity. But if it isn't broken, uh, no point fixing it. Do any of the secondaries appear in your top twenty? Yes, uh, ah, I, <laughs> Magnus. I, I thought so. Yes, a vegetable lasagna. Magnus. He is number fourteen. Oh wow. Yes, <laughs> I like him. Yeah, he's just uh, he doesn't have many lines, and Frank the actor didn't, you know, go big on you know over act or anything but i don't know i just really enjoy vegetable lasagna and i think a lot of seinfeld fans love vegetable lasagna too it's probably one of their uh, favorite secondary characters or one-offs at least so uh yeah no i, I really liked him yeah no he is uh, much loved amongst the fans none of the characters appear in my top 20 but uh shout out to jay shermack and Stu crespi <laughs> love the slick 90s business executive a little yes happy. The little hacky. It's a little hacky. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. That is another episode of But I Don't Want to Be a Secondary Character. Thank you so much for listening. We really, really appreciate it. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email bidwabasspodcast at gmail.com. We're on all forms of social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Reddit. Uh, You can listen to all of our previous episodes on your podcast app of choice. And if you want to support us, we would really, really appreciate a review on whatever podcast app you use. And uh, you can support us financially as well. That's right. On Patreon and PayPal. And a big thanks to our current patrons, Tim, Nakia, Holly, 
Jeff, Neil, and Dan. Yeah, thanks a lot, guys. We uh, we know uh, times are tough, and uh, the fact that you spare a few bucks each month uh, helps us out, and uh, we can't say how much we appreciate it. So thank you once again. Finally, yes. if you want to check out our Facebook group, Seinfeldisms, just go to Facebook and type in Seinfeldisms, and uh, you can join the fun part of the biggest Seinfeld group on Facebook. Which Massive. Is- really awesome. We are helping out one of our Seinfeldisms fans. Uh, Her name is Lynn. She is selling some awesome Seinfeld-related face masks to help you keep you safe uh, during the current COVID-19 pandemic. It is only available to our US and Canadian listeners uh, or uh, Facebook group members at the moment, but we are working on uh, an option for Australian and uh, hopefully European customers as well. So stay tuned uh, and check out the group for all the details. And next week, Stephen, we're going to season six and we're talking about The Doorman with uh, Larry. Larry Miller playing the eponymous character. Nice. He really has it in for Jerry. Can't wait to watch it. Yes. My name is Ivan. And I'm Stephen. And we will see you next week. You take care of yourselves and each other. Bye now and don't act a little hacky. Hacky.